Welcome to The Sit-Down, a crime history podcast presented by Barstool Sports. Here's your host, Jeff Nadu. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to another edition of The Sit-Down. As always, if you enjoy this video and you're watching us on YouTube, please hit the like button and let me know what you think of today's discussion in the comment section below. If you're new around here, you just haven't done it yet, or you're living under a rock and seeing this video for the first time, I don't know what you're waiting for. Hit that subscribe button below now so you never miss another sit-down video. If you're checking us out on audio to Google Pods, iTunes, or Spotify, welcome in. Make sure you leave us a detailed review and rate us five stars. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. And as always, I am your host, Jeff Nadeau. We are presented by Barstool Sports. Today's episode, episode 104, is powered by Harry's. Make sure right now, if you're looking and you're in the mood, look, spring is here. Spring is sprung, as they say. And Harry's has you covered with looking good. All your grooming needs are covered by Harry's. They have titanium blades made in their factory in Germany, and they're cheap and ergonomical. They look great on your uh, bathroom uh, counter, whatever you and wherever you have them. They've got body wash. They've got lotions. They've got... Uh, gels, they've got razors themselves, anything you need to take care of your grooming needs, you can get it right now at Harry's. Do what I did, make sure you get your shave, and it's done by Harry's right now. If you go to harrys.com backslash sit, you can get a Truman style shave set of $15 value for as little as three bucks. They got you covered with replacement blades and everything in between. Make sure you go get that Truman style shave set right now, $15 value by going to Harry's. Three bucks. Go to harrys.com slash sit and make sure you look like me when you go out. I got to shave tonight, matter of fact. So make sure you go check out Harry's now. I know several people have. Go do what they did. Harry's.com slash sit. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, with another show. And I got to admit, I always tell you I'm excited, but I want to bring our guest in, and it's a fan favorite of ours, Scott Bernstein from the Gangster Report, um, original Gangsters podcast. Scott, I want to kind of start this by saying today's subject is, in my opinion, the most compelling storyline probably in the history of the mafia, at least to me. I think this is an incredibly fascinating group of people. It's brothers against brothers. It's a father who's up at the top and has really kind of stayed in line and, and, and had to be in prison while this was going on. Today, we're going to get in to very interesting, the Changalini family out of Philadelphia. And I bring this up. I'd wanted to do the show with you. Um, the, matri- or the patriarch of the family, Chicky Chang, uh, recently passed away. Uh, that's a, a very old picture of him. But he has a very interesting story. You wrote a book about the mafia in Philadelphia. We obviously know you wrote um, uh, a book about uh, Nicky Scarfo and Philip Leonetti. Um, and anytime we do Philadelphia, it's always good that we can come together and talk. How you doing? What's going on? Always good to see you. Yeah, good. Uh, I'm glad you're having me back on. Uh, I love doing content with you, and and, and I love your audience. And I, I'm hoping that I can keep on, um, you know, calling from your audience and bringing them over to me. And I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, your, you know, built in fan base is, is kind of right for the picking for the kind of stuff I do. So uh, shout out to, you know, all your, uh, all your fans and the sit down. And um, I love, you know, I'm just a storyteller. I love spreading knowledge and doing research. And like you said, I, I don't, I don't want to like go back a hundred years, but definitely in the last 40, 50 years, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more compelling organized crime saga that's as Shakespearean yeah. um, as exactly. what's gone on in the Changalini family um, dating you know, back about 33 years right now. Some of the details of this family is truly hard to believe, really, you know, because you have bloodlines that, again, in, in everyday life, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, you know, no one would ever think to 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 hurt those people unless you're a depraved savage. But um, that all went on here, and 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 it's it's a fascinating uh, storyline. You mentioned Shakespearean. You know, you've talked about it on your show, and and I'm going to highlight in the description of this video. Make sure you go check out 
of the original Gangsters podcast. Scott and Jimmy do a great job. You have the Gangster Report. I'm going to link that as well. Um, you, you've kind of mentioned to me, and we've talked about Philly ad nauseum. It's really a wonder that a never Philly gets old, Jeff. It's evergreen. It's the most fascinating. Uh, well, maybe we should do it. Family. Scott. What, yeah. what do you think? Wait, say it again. Maybe we should do a film about these individuals. What do you think? <laughs> I'm sh- I, I am shocked that other than a B-level film from about 15 years ago, which I actually like in, in a way that a, a good movie can be. Tenth and Wolf. Sorry, a really bad movie can actually in some ways be entertaining. But other than Tenth and Wolf, which is not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, no. but I find it you know comically entertaining. Uh, other than that movie, which most people haven't seen and don't know about, uh, I'm shocked that there has not been a uh, a scripted television show um, adaptation or a, a major film adaptation. I know with my Mafia Prince book, there have been um, one or two pretty big names out in Hollywood that have shown some interest. And for whatever reason, we couldn't get the... Uh, the contract done and the option uh, sold, but yeah, I, I don't know why it hasn't happened yet, but I, I'd like to say with some degree of confidence that I have to believe with all the um, platforms available for content now, scripted content, I have to believe in the next decade, we will see some uh, adaption of, of the Nikki Scarfo, Philly and Eddie, or, the Joey Merlino uh, Stanford era or both. Yeah. So one of the things I'm going to start doing now that we're getting into the summer months and, and I'm a little bit fr- more freed up is I'm going to do like critical film reviews of like mob type films. And mm-hmm. I'm going to try to do like lesser known ones. And one of the first ones I was going to do was Tenth and Wolf because it's, you mentioned like, I think sometimes with films, like it's really all about your opinion, right? Sometimes, like, I love The Irishman. Some people don't, right? Like, I loved the gaudy HBO film. Some found it corny. Some people found it cheesy. Um, Tent and Wolf, as you said, it had a pretty good cast. I mean, Rabisi and, and Dennis Hopper, and, you know, it, it's an interesting one. But I think... James Marsden and Brian Dennehy. Yeah, yeah, Val Kilmer was in it, I believe. Yeah. Um, I think, as you said, though, like, a television series where you kind of start, you know, even you know, early sixties, like with, with some of the labor stuff that we'll talk about today with, with Chicky and some of those guys and, and take it to like present day. It could be very, very well done with, with all the different storylines, but let's get into it. We're going to kind of, and, and I know you, you've talked about this and I'll say it too. I did a show recently on the Pernas out of New Jersey, a lot of Pernas, right? Yeah. Well, very confusing a show. I think for a lot of people, this will be as well, guys. There's a lot of Changalinis, okay? It's confusing for me, and I'm an expert. Yeah. So so just understand it with, with this. There are four central figures in the Changalini family. There's the father, Joseph, Chicky Chang. There are three sons, Joe Jr., Johnny, and Michael. Johnny is the oldest, okay? Uh, and we'll kind of chronologically talk about it. But I want to talk about Chicky because – We've heard a lot about his sons. We've heard about the brother against the brothers and the Merlino War, the Stamp War. But, you know, Chicky is really an interesting character, man. He, I, I've heard you describe him at one point as like a, a goon, which he was, right? He's a big hawking dude. Uh, you had that tan skin, the, just, a, just a, a scary guy, really. And he was born in 1934. So he goes a long way back. But I found in some of the, Philadelphia uh, records that he has a rap sheet dating back to 20 years old. He was arrested in 1954 for some disorderly conducts and some assaults, but he really doesn't get going into much until the sixties. And it's funny because I told you, I found a, a funny, um, it wasn't really funny, but it, it was a, it, it was um, an article that, that called him a unemployed iron worker at one point uh, in 1967. And he was actually living in the area of 19th and Sigel streets, which weirdly enough today, that area is uh, about as um, African-American as it gets today. That is a, a point breeze. That's stone cold. Uh, that's Meek Mill territory. He's he, his grandmother was from that area. Um, but Chicky started his life as uh, a teamster, right? He was in the teamsters union was kind of down on his luck. And 
I guess he felt like, hey, I'm Italian. I'm kind of linking up with all these young guys. Maybe I can be used in, in some sort of way. And Scott, I found this crazy because even you didn't know this. I didn't know this either. I found this report from 1967, and it's hard to understand, but back then there was some dissent going on in the local Teamsters 107 out of Philadelphia, which had some connections to Frank Sheeran, who was very involved in this general area with the Teamsters. We all know him through the Irishman and Jimmy Hoffa. The local 107 in that area had some dissension. There were some dissidents that didn't like the mob involvement, and they were kind of speaking up, and they were saying, hey, we don't want this going on. There was a truck driver uh, by the name of Robert Bobby DeGeorge. He had been threatened a couple of times. Hey, keep your mouth shut. Stay out of this. This doesn't concern you. I guess he gets into some sort of beef with the Frank Sheeran-led uh, group, and they start kind of taking care of some of the dissidents here. Um, some sort of hit party is convened. And this is a legend. Okay, All these individuals beat the charge on this. In 1967, Bobby DeGeorge is shot multiple times outside of the local 107 at Front and Spring Garden Streets. I guess essentially this was a meeting between Frank Sheeran and DeGeorge to which multiple younger individuals, including uh, Louis Tura, or not Louis Tura, Rocco Tura, which is Louis's brother, Joseph Chicky Changalini and a guy called Patrick Abruzzi allegedly shoot uh, at Mr. DeGeorge and kill him. The return fire strikes Chicky Changalini, and he can be seen here in a uh, essentially a wheelchair because he went to the hospital after the shooting and said, Hey, I don't know what happened. I caught this thing in my backside. Um, and, you know, I don't want to talk, but. He would be subsequently arrested. So, Scott, this is kind of an interesting connection that shows how early Chickie got involved with enforcing back in the mid-60s. Yeah, he came, you know, he came up in the ranks, as you said, uh, as, a, as a Teamster enforcer. You know, he made his bones, however you want to define that term, as a goon, like I've said. But he was a lot more than just muscle. Mm -hmm. um, he wasn't a knuckle dragger. Uh, he wasn't a guy that I, th I think was low intelligence that just was dispatched to uh, do muscle work. Um, but that, you know, just like a lot of guys, you got to get your start somewhere. And uh, Chicky got started uh, working, you know, in, in the, in the labor force or working as someone to keep everybody in line in the labor force in the sixties. And it, and it proved his merit to Angelo Bruno and and the and the other leaders of of the Philadelphia Mafia, and that's what I want to kind of strengthen. It kind of makes sense, you know. As you do this long enough, you start to see the connections between these people, right? And we, if you read any of the testimony, I know Leonetti talked about it. Uh, several different people talked about it. Ralph Natale mentioned in his uh, testimony that he knew of Chicky as a guy who came under Bruno. And this is almost kind of laying the foundation for that. He does a favor to Ford Bruno group. He then starts getting connected with the Turas, who, if you know anything about the Turas, they would create the modern day 10th and Argon gang. Louis and Rocco Turo were from Darien Street, which is right off uh, 10th and Shunk, or 10th and Argon. It's right in the general area. Um, so they kind of lay the groundwork there. You know, we kind of see these guys matriculate down the road. But as you've talked about, Eventually, Chicky becomes indebted to a guy called Frank Sindone, uh, the Barracuda. Frank Sindone was a huge loan shark, huge, one of the biggest. Uh, bookmaking, had drug dealing charges. Th this guy did it all uh, and was a guy who had some, some sway in the Bruno family. But everybody stayed in line. And eventually, Scott, we know what happened. Sindone starts proving some dissension. He goes in business with... Uh, Tony Bananas, who wants to off Bruno and take over. And the, the auspice was that Sindone would be Captain Negro's underboss when Bruno goes. But this was a big problem for Sindone. Yeah, I mean, it was a major miscalculation on, on the part of Captain Negro and his brother-in-law, Freddie Salerno, um, and then Sindone. Um, but if we're talking about the Changalinis and Chicky, that whole situation actually uh, allowed him an opportunity to make a um, a jump to the 
Scarfo Testicamp, uh, again, alleged, we don't, we don't have any convictions of this, but, uh, you know, in the mafia, just like you heard in Goodfellas, like when someone's got to go, they don't send guys with masks and, uh, you know, camouflage. <laughs> they're, they're sending your best friend to, 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 to say goodbye to you with a bullet. And in terms of Sindone, um, his, his top enforcer was Chicky Changalini. His top lieutenant was Chicky Changalini. Chicky actually, what, I think one of the things that's interesting is that the, the books in Philadelphia were pretty much closed between 70 and 80. But there were one or two ceremonies, and Chicky got a button um, before the books opened up uh, in, in 1980. So Chicky, you know, was was a uh, a made guy, was a guy that was probably in line to. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I would guesstimate that if the plot to to assassinate Bruno would have been successful and Caponegro had taken over as boss and Sendona gone as underboss, Chicky probably would have been slotted in as a capo. Um, but again, he played the situation right, and he clearly wasn't held responsible for what those guys did, but he was the one that had to tie up those loose ends. And according to informants, uh, he was dispatched to kill Frank Sindone and he did. And and from that, he took over Frank Sindone's crew. Yeah. Sindone turned up October 29, 1980 in, in trash bags, uh, yeah. about a few blocks from his house. And, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the history of Philly, most notably, they are almost exclusively a group where you said it, very succinctly, your best friend. Look at look at Savi Testa. Your friends kill you. You look at the the Changalinis down the road. You know, family is involved. Um, you, you look at a lot of this. It's it's always the person closest to you. And and that's again, these guys aren't stupid, right? Sindone didn't get to where he was by being a a gullible guy. He knew that you know he'd have to look over his shoulder, but he wouldn't necessarily have to worry maybe about Changalini because he was his guy. So it makes sense, but. The thing about Changalini that I find interesting is Chicky was never charged with any he's never convicted of any murder, right? And and we'll get well, into I, what I think about. well, there was a murder charge that was tied into the 82 case. Yep. Um, so it was like a predicate. Like a conspiracy to come a, in. Yeah, a conspiracy, yeah. a predicate act of the racket. I always, so. at least to me, I know in like and, and Sammy Gravano's done this, right? Sammy Gravano may have been involved in planning murders that he admits that he committed. And it's like, well, no, you may have only committed like two, right? I always look at murder as in the mob world, how many did you actually do or were convicted of, right? And Chicky, that was kind of rung up in the trial that he would have, which we'll get into. But what we find interesting about Chicky is once he becomes capo, he's still out doing work, right? Once mm -hmm. the Scarfo regime takes over, it's possible that he's involved in several murders. Now, they were for different things, right? And what we know about Scarfo is, and, and you talk about this so well in, in, in Mafia Prince, is his obsession with taking out people that weren't going to get down or lay down, as they say. Um, there was a guy, um, Cal Abreese, that's killed in, what, 1981, I believe? Um, a lot of people believe Chicky was involved with that, and that was because John Calabrese didn't want to pay a street tax. There was a guy... Um, Alvin Feldman. This was back in 1974, yeah, Scott. Was a Jew, was, was a Jewish guy. Yeah. He was a, a guy who, and what we found out about Philly is they had their hooks in everybody, whether it was uh, Irish, uh, you know, Jewish, whoever, they were taking some sort of piece from you. Alvin Feldman didn't want to kind of comply with it. And what I Feldman found interesting. Was, Feldman was from what I, from mm -hmm. what I gleaned from talking to people that existed in that orbit, um, Alvin Feldman wasn't a rival, uh, at, well, at least until he, until he found his, uh, found his way onto the, onto the bad side of, of Nicky Scarfo and those guys. But, uh, Feldman was like friendly with, with Scarfo and Testa and, um, and Phil Leonetti until he wasn't. Right. And in that world with those guys, you quickly get, uh, and pulled away. And informants say that uh, Chicky ice picked Alvin Feldman to death. I've also heard rumblings, and, and and I've seen this on on several sources that 
what I always find interesting about the mob is the hit teams they create. Supposedly, from what I understand, certain Chester guys were involved with that as well. Joe Scalite and Santo Idone, supposedly, in some sort of planning or I don't know about involvement, but some sort of well, planning. Sindone, or uh, not Sindone, uh, uh, Chester, they called him Chester Sam. Sam uh, Idone was, uh, you know, he was the, the capo of that, uh, of that faction. Um, and was a was an old school guy that went all the way back. I think him and Scarfo had done a hit together in the fifties yeah. or sixties. They're another really interesting group, you know, because when you think about Philadelphia and how burgeoning it was at that time under Angela Bruno, I mean, they had so many uh, different crews. I mean, they had you know the, the Chester crew, they had a Jersey crew, the Trenton crew, Philly at one point, And we don't we always talk about like the Merlinos and the Scarfos, but. Under uh, Bruno, they had so much. They had so many different little factions and, you know, connections up to Buffalino and New York and just just an incredibly powerful individual. One, one of the things that I, I find interesting in terms of murders that uh, Chicky was implicated in, but again, never charged, um, I think there is speculation or at least – a, a pretty good notion that uh, after Bruno's killed, anybody that knows Philadelphia, Testa was killed a year later. And then you have to do the house clean, just like you did with Bruno. You have to kill all the people that were involved in the conspiracy. And with Testa, you had another capo, uh, Chicky Narducci, um, who was marked for death. Chicky Narducci was on trial with Chicky Cangolini um, from the 82 racketeering conspiracy, or maybe it was 81, but they went on trial in 82. Uh, and uh, maybe I'm messing up the dates here, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that Chicky got hit leaving or coming home from the trial. And the speculation is that Chicky made the phone call or let's say Chicky Cangolini made the phone call alerting the hit team that Chicky Narducci was on his way home and Chicky Cangolini and Chicky Narducci were co-defendants on the in case. the case right. that was uh you know in, in federal court. Yeah there's a lot of as we know in the mob there's a lot of different people involved right so you got to kind of be really succinct with details but you're right hundred percent um two different cases he would grab in the 80s Chicky would Cangolini uh, 81 87 but by this point, he has three sons, right? And we talked about them before. This is kind of a, a notable photo. It's probably the only known photo of them all. Of the three of them together. I love it. It's, it's one of the greatest photos ever snapped. This is a stone cold. Like, if if you ever ask me, like, what did the 80s look like, right? This is kind of, I mean, they're all, they all look the same, don't they? I and mean, I, think that, I think this is them walking to uh, a court hearing. That looks like South Philly to me, but I, I okay, could be. I, yeah, you're right. They're not dressed. There, you're right. They're not dressed up. And if you notice in the back, that looks like it's around kind of, that time. Yeah, that, that Chicky was facing that 80, 80, 81 case. That looks like some kind of like bar or something. Maybe they're yeah. outside of. And then um, it's it's. Uh, should we ID them? It's yeah, Mikey so, on the right, Johnny on the left, left, and Joey at center. Yeah, Joey was smaller than the other two. Right. Um, and if we remember Johnny Chang, who. Weirdly enough, is the only one around today uh, is the oldest, right? Yeah. Um, so as you kind of talk about, Nikki Scarfo takes over after Testa and Bruno are, are killed, you know, in around the early 80s, you know, that's 82. Um, but by 87, Nikki Scarfo is jammed up. Now, in 87, this is where Chicky, he had been facing another trial in 81. He gets kind of hemmed up on everything. I gets- think Chicky. I'm pretty sure Chicky got locked up in 83. So Chicky was yeah. off, at least in terms of the streets, was off the radar halfway through the Scarfo regime. Right. So, and remember, he goes away in 83. He doesn't see the light of day on the street until 2014. 14, he, yeah. he gets essentially a 45-year sentence, right? And he would do about three-plus decades inside. Now, yeah. what's interesting about all of what we're about to talk about is during the case in 87 johnny chang his son is hemmed up in that case so he wasn't on the street for most of this 
kind of war that would develop in the early 90s either. So when we're kind of getting rid of people, so Johnny Chang and Chicky Chang are off the street. So now you have the two other brothers, and it's how do they slot in with the new regimes? Because when Nikki goes away, you Did, have reporting that say I, that – Wait, hold on. I, I could be wrong. Was Johnny Chang the 87 case or like the 90 case with like uh... – Patty Specks and um, from what I know, Johnny Chang went into prison in the late eighties. Yeah, okay, I know he was off the street by the nineties. Yeah, yeah, and I think he right, comes home in ninety five, right? Yeah. So, and and as we know, there's a lot changing. And as your reporting says, you have some information that says within weeks of Nikki Scarfa going away, Mikey Chang and Joey Molino. Uh, are you know they're thick as thieves as friends they went to school together and mikey was part of that group that we see today mm-hmm. right mikey chang and joey start kind of putting their heads together and saying all right this might take a little bit of time but we see an opening here we're yeah. up and coming we're the sons of royalty essentially and there's a power vacuum here and you got to think about the age of these guys these are these guys aren't even 30 yet they're like 26 27 and I, I, I thought just like I think a lot of people thought because of the way the narrative had been um, put out there that all of this Machiavellian um, plotting began in 1990 or 91 when they linked up with Natalie in right. prison. But I got fed to me some uh, FBI documents. The Scarfo bus came in March of 87 and these documents say by April of 87, by May of 87, Chicky and Joey are going, or, or sorry, Joey and Mikey are going around to a number of bookies, loan sharks, drug dealers, uh, telling them that the city is theirs now and that they should start kicking up to them. The problem is, okay, there's another interloper that comes in. John Stamp, as we know, that's an older picture. That's him in prison. He believes that his time has come. He had some backing from you know certain people in New York. Yeah, so he feels like, all right, I'm going to slot in early 90s. Now, as we said, Johnny Chang's in prison, right? Um, I believe this is a photo of them uh, inside, in him prison, inside yeah, yeah. With, with Michael. Um, but as we know, the other brother, Joey's still on the street. Now, I guess I'll ask you, Scott, because we would find out Mikey obviously sides with the Joey group during this whole thing, and this would eventually come to a head. Oh, Joey, it, was his, it was really his group. Right, right. <laughs> Michael was the, the brains behind it. Joey sides with Stanfa, who was Merlino's, yeah. you know, obviously rival and, 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 and you know, guy, you know, as far as they were against each other. I guess my question is, what do you know about why was Joey Chang just – getting in line and order and like, Hey, this is how it goes. He's our new boss, Stanfa. I'm going to get in line because he would ultimately become Stanfa's underboss. Yeah. Here's, here's what my research has told me. And again, this is a, a part of the Philly story that I think sometimes gets lost in all of the blood and guts. And it, believe me, it's, 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 it's as sensationalistic as you get in the world of reporting that, that, that we're in. And I'm not blaming reporters for not, scratching deeper because there was so much at the surface to, to, um, to write about and, and, and talk about. But from what I can understand, the Joe Chang, Mikey Chang rivalry dated all the way back to when they were little kids. This wasn't something that just popped up when they were in their early thirties. Uh, there had always been animosity between them um, dating back to when they were in elementary school and junior high school. Um, maybe it wasn't full blown under the surface kind of stuff, but they were from what I, from people that know them uh, that, that told me that they were never close. Johnny was always the, the peacemaker um, everybody loves Johnny. I don't think, uh, you know, Johnny isn't a guy that um, I think he's someone that uh, doesn't elicit a lot of bad energy. Uh, he, he's someone that I think most people that know Johnny Chang like Johnny Chang, just like they like Chicky. Um, Mikey, on the other hand, was a, a lightning rod. 
and was a force of nature, was a, just a hurricane of a human being. And you either loved him or hated him. Uh, Joey, I think, had a little less of a personality. But uh, as, as you pointed out, he put all of his chips in the middle of the table with John Stampha. But that's another miscalculation on Stampha's part, not understanding the history between the brothers, mm-hmm. thinking that he names Joey Cangolini his underboss, that that's going to rein in Michael. One of the things that I've talked about, and, and I always have said this, people always, who's the worst boss in the history of the mob, right? I've always said, I don't think it's even a question. I think it's surely John Stanford for some of the, just the, the, the involving people like John Vesey, who were just, you know, essentially drug addicts who needed money and you just decide, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to make them and they're going to, they're not even Italian, but I'm going to make them shooters and I'm going to involve a cop. I'm going to involve and then bring you know, a bunch of guys over from Sicily yeah. that you think are going to be your, your inner circle, your, your hardcore loyalist guys. Really. And those, those guys all flipped. They yeah. all flipped. Sure. It was just, and again, I mean, he just, he seemed to have no sort of sense of like, and I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. South Philadelphia is a very loyal place, right? Everybody knows everybody. And I think John Stanford was looked at, forever as an interloper he's an outsider yeah he's a he's an opportunist he's a guy who you know started as this and and became that so they didn't want him they didn't want him around when he got there in the 70s right and you look back to the the most notable thing of what we know about stanford before he becomes bosses he was the scumbag who somehow got away when angelo bruno was killed and he's the driver that night and somehow doesn't get killed well the, the two people that survived those purges yeah. from the Bruno and the Testa murders were Pete Casella and John Stampha, who were both, uh, Casella was at the tip of the spear for, for the uh, Testa murder, and uh, Stampha was at ground zero for the, for the Bruno murder, literally put the window down so, so Tony Bananas could put a shotgun behind Angelo Bruno's head and blow it off. And they both were able to skirt the purge. And that was directly tied to the fact that the New York five families, for whatever reason, um, you know, called off the dogs and 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 gave told Philadelphia to give those two a pass. Stanford was kicked out of town and had to go to uh, Florida, but but Stanfa didn't didn't just stay around, he rose to to be the boss. Stanford did what we would call he kissed the asses of the right people. Yeah. And he waited for his turn, and his turn came. Now, these young guys are saying, well, wait a second. Hold on. First of all, we've been around, too. Our fathers are royalty in South Philly. We're all cool. So we're going to say, you know what? Vafangu, in a way, we're going to take over. And this is what happens. A war ensues. And you have brothers against brothers. You have Joey Chang against Michael Chang on the street. You got the father and other brother inside saying, hey, hold on. We're going to try to mediate this. Don't don't create a war here. Get in line. Play ball. We're old school. And they don't want to play ball. They're on the street, you know, plotting. Who gets killed? Little Felix Bacino gets killed, 92. Then coming home from a basketball game, Mikey Chang. That's what is, really erupts the whole thing. Yeah. Mikey Chang is essentially ambushed as he's walking into his house. They blow his try to blow his door off, basically. With his kid, with his kids sitting there playing with their toys in front of the window. Now, a lot Uh, of people believe one of the shooters was Joey Chang. Well, Mikey Chang swore that it was his brother was one of the shooters, and from that point on, all bets were off. And uh, the 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 the, the towering a mudslide create is commenced and it, it lasted it lasted like uh the piece that stampa had made by m- making mikey and joey merlino as a way that in stampa's mind he was going to make them he was going to bring them in close and kill them but that lasts like three months until that shooting that you just referenced and it's and it's it's a free-for-all again they're devious in their own minds. And I think in the end, they believed Philadelphia, as far as South Philly, was theirs, right? And they were going to take it, and this guy was going to go. And this commences also by March of 93. One thing we find out about Joey Chang, 
hardworking guy, right? Wakes up, has this luncheonette up on Warfield Street, which mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about this place. Um, and it's funny because this this spot turned into a couple different little luncheonettes. In fact, Joey Stanfett at one point had a restaurant in that building. And they would turn over a couple of different times. But I want to talk about the landscape of the Warfield Luncheonette because John Stanfa was kind of power brokered up in that area. He had his distribution center right off the Schuylkill Expressway, uh, up past like the Wilson Park projects, way up above like 34th Street area, above Grace Ferry. So he goes to this luncheonette, Joey Chang, every morning, very early, opens it up for breakfast. You know, you get your sandwiches, coffee, stuff like that. Very weird location, Scott. Like very ducky location. Like it's in like an industrial. Like, yeah, there's no foot you traffic. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. It no. wouldn't be a place that you would just pass and be like, "Oh, let's go." It'd be a place no. that you worked in that kind of industrial. And what I always, and, what I always believed is, I likened it to if you've ever seen The Wire, in season two, that guy Spiros. They had that little coffee shop like way down off this ducky area, and it wasn't a. It wasn't for food. It was for. It was a social club, and they served sandwiches inside. That's what it was. So you know, maybe they did some light delivery or something. But you're right. There's no foot traffic there. So Joey Chang, March of 93, alongside a woman, go to the luncheonette to open it up. And this is what they call the only recorded hit on, on, on audio we have. Or video. They walk, or video. It's not yeah, a video of it. There's a pole camera. It's, it's hard yeah. to see. But shooters walk in, light the restaurant up. Joey Chang somehow, after being hit multiple times in the face and all sorts of different places, I believe he was blind and deaf due to due to the injuries. Uh, he wanted today. to blow his nose into a handkerchief, and the responding medical technician said, "Don't do that. You'll blow your you'll blow your brains out of your nose." Exactly. He was real screwed up, incapacitated essentially, yeah. but he survives. Now, a lot of people believe his brother Mikey was a, sh- Mikey was a shooter. Right. So allegedly, again, brother against a brother. Find me a more compelling storyline over the last 50 years in the mob. You can't find one. I I think that almost every major player in the Merlino inner circle had some role allegedly in that March 93 attack. I've heard that there was up to 10 people that were on the scene in some capacities. There were some uh, block, some guys that were, listening to the to the radio there were guys that were there for crash cars there were guys there for lookouts um and i i also want to emphasize that i think this is another thing that's gotten lost a little bit in the narrative and that people have some people have over the years jumped to the conclusion that mikey chang and joey merlino were being coached by chucky merlino and chicky changalini in addition to ralph natale um and from the people that I've talked to that are in the know, uh, Chicky Changalini by no means was endorsing what Mikey Chang and Joey Merlino were trying to do at that point. He was telling them to get in line behind Stampha. Um, and Johnny Chang was telling them in phone call, in repeated phone calls, just calm down, go back to your corners wait until the fall or the late summer i'll be out and i can and i can fix the situation and obviously uh, neither one of those opinions from behind bars were or those ins- those instructions uh, or uh, advice was not heeded by by mikey chang and joey now i did find a pretty interesting staff report from the trentonian which is a a newspaper based out of trent new jersey they would down the road locate Biagio Adornetto, who was a hitman for John Stampa back in the day, a Sicilian guy, he becomes an informant and weirdly enough turns up in Mississippi, of all places, uh, as a barber, um, which is very odd. According to certain reports, they would say that the day Joey Chang was shot, he would tell someone in the medical that, that pulled him up that Tiny Tim did me. And that was a reference to Biagio Adornetto, supposedly. Now, Adornetto responded to the Trentonian and said, this is just bluster. This is the Molino faction trying to say that I had something to do with this. I don't even know who that guy is. I didn't do anything. It wasn't me that was a part of it. 
could that somehow be possible? No, right? I, I don't think so. I think the most interesting part of those Sicilians that Stanford had recruited, uh, Biagio, uh, Rosario, uh, Bellocchio, oh, yeah. um, was that there was another, like, not another, there was a love triangle that, I, that had um, coalesced in the Stanford camp. So everything wasn't, uh, you know, roses and butterflies over in the Stanford camp. It wasn't like they were all getting to get there. It's not like they were all getting along uh, swimmingly. I believe Bellocchio and Ed Ornetto started fighting over John Stanford's daughter. Mm -hmm. So there is this dysfunction all over this this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that attempted hit happens, but they don't succeed in killing Joey Chang. He's still alive but he's incapacitated. So the Stanford crew's taken, taken some, some lumps here in August of 93. Okay. Merlino and Changalini are at this clubhouse on six and Catherine street, which I always found funny that it was a former green piece. It was a green piece storefront. Right. And what is interesting about six and Catherine is today. It's a, it's a very ritzy area for the most part. You know, it's in queen village now, uh, essentially, so they're out in the corner. It, it's middle of August, a you know, nice day. Um, they're out you know, smoking, maybe getting lunch, whatever. John Vesey and Philip Coletti are hitmen for the Stanford group. And they're told, stalk them, drive around the city all day. And if you see them, shoot at them. So they stalk these two to the corner. Now, Vesey has said multiple times that he initially drove past, but saw his brother, Billy, mm-hmm. at the clubhouse and said, I can't shoot at them. My brother's there. They then drive around again. Coletti and, and VC open fire on Merlino and Chang. Chang gets hit one time, kills him right through the right heart. Right through the heart, yeah. Great shot. He dies uh, in Joey's did. arms, which is, again, just something that's, like, out of a movie. Yep. Uh, you know, the two best friends, the two renegades. Um, and, and I know that according to phone calls that were recorded with Joey – telling people what happened on those recorded phone calls. He says that Mikey turned to him and said, I'm dying. You know, they got me in the, uh, you know, they got me in the heart and he knew he was expiring. And, you know, Joey was pretty vocal telling him and his, or his family, Mikey Chang's family. Hey, I wish it would have been me. I don't have, at that point, Joey didn't have any kids Mm -hmm. and Joey wasn't married. And um, it's, uh, you know, these are these are tough guys. These are guys that, according to the FBI, have killed a lot of people. So I'm not trying to uh, turn them, you know, into uh, martyrs. But you know, this is this is real life, and uh, it's and pretty, you know, it's tragic. However, you look at it. the problem that Joey Molino had as well is he had been shot in the back. Well, he got shot in the butt. Yeah. So, and if you actually have seen funeral footage, he has a walker. It's a cane. At, at yeah. The funeral. Um, but that, that 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 picture or that video of the of the pallbearers for for Mikey Chang, it's that's pretty gripping. You know, you have all the major players: uh, Stevie, Marty, Joey, um, Georgie. They're they're all carrying the casket. And one again, thing that has to be said about these individuals we're talking about this Merlino faction: they are all friends since they were schoolboys, child, children, right? They all grew up together. They're real friends. They're not just like underlings and they meet in the mob. No, they're all connected. They're all dear friends. Um, so within weeks, this happened August, I believe, 5th of 93. Yeah. By August 31st, Stanfa is going to his job, right, at the luncheonette. Now, again, I want to explain the landscape. This is a very busy highway in Philadelphia. During rush hour traffic, it is packed, right? John Stamp is in a car driven, I believe, by Freddie Aldrich that day. Um, his son's in the car as well. A van pulls up to the car with turrets, essentially, and it starts lighting the car up with machine gun fire as essentially get back for the Mikey Chang hit. Now, I have no idea who the shooters are. I don't know. I don't think very much well i think there have been informants that have said that joey was the shooter sure now i I don't i don't have much doubt that he was but and i always put this disclaimer anytime we do a show okay when you are taking 
certain people, like when you're taking a Ralph Natalie's word yeah. or, or, you know, you have to always take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah, yeah. a lot of this stuff makes sense, right? You know, you killed my friend, you killed my brother, you killed, you know, th this is get back stuff. Now, Joey Stanfa, John's kid is, is hit, right? Mm -hmm. Leaves hit in the face at, at some point. Uh, they, they find their way off the exit and, and they get away again. Okay. So th this is how brazen this war is. This is, we don't give a shit about anybody driving on the street or on the, the highway. We need to off this guy and we're going to do what we have to do. So it's, you know, nothing's off limits here for these people. Uh, ultimately, the war begins to die down. Now, according to Philip Coletti, who him and John Vesey would flip, and Brenda, Philip's wife, would, would be involved as well. She was kind of a – she's an interesting story. I don't know how much you know about her. Yeah, but, she was a stripper, right? Yeah, and, and she ultimately – poison, uh, poison Joey with a – Yeah, she, she becomes involved with – some of the the offing, like I know she lit some cars on fire down. Yeah, yeah. she was the there. Like they were including her in the discussions, yeah. and she was like actively involved in the conspiracy. She was a devious way. woman, Brenda Coletti. So yeah. Coletti and VC ultimately testified on John Stanford. Now Coletti claims that they had attempted multiple times to put a bomb underneath Merlino's car. But it was never successful. So Merlino's probably in his lifetime is probably yeah. avoided. Two dozen murder attempts. You and I talked when we, we Scott and I did an episode on Joey Molino, and I'll link that up, uh, you know, above us here. We kind of talked about how Joey is like a cat, right? He's got nine lives. Think about nine lives. He's got ninety nine lives. Ninety lives, right? Yeah. Um, so he, you know, Joey through all this gets through unscathed. Okay, and everything that he wanted to happen by the mid nineties happens. John Stanford gets jammed up, and John Stanford is still sitting in federal prison uh, to this day. Uh, and, you know, him and Ralph Natale, as we know from years before, they had planned a takeover, didn't really have to take much over. It was there for the taking. Now, when we look back at where we are with the Chang family after the dust settles, right? And then we'll get into some other kind of speculation. Jo Joe Chang Sr. still in jail. He would get out in 2014. And we would see him pop up in more of, I think, just a retired role. Yeah, kind of like a ceremonial uh, he he wasn't active no. like a traditional gangster would be active. He he was just uh, you know he was this OG that people had immense amounts of respect for, who would give out advice if he was asked, uh, and and stayed you know every day he'd be at Stogie Joe's. You could see him out in the morning with his coffee and his newspaper, and uh, he'd hold court there. But he wasn't someone that was jumping back into the fray as was speculated um, when he came out. I mean, if you wanted to say anything, he was, uh, um, I think the, the term that I've always used is like emeritus, like your, 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 your resume and your, uh, your, your track record has afforded you this opportunity to kind of be in the life, but not in the life at the same time. Anybody you know, and look, I know many people in that area. Okay. I have never heard a bad word about, and I, and look, I got a lot of flack on TikTok for calling him a legend. He was a legend. He was. In uh, South Philly, he was a legend. You look at a guy, this is a guy who had been around since the early 60s, did 30 plus, look, I don't care who you are, you do 30 plus years yeah. in federal prison, there's something ethical that you can respect about that. Right? And he looked pretty good. I mean, he yeah, came out and he was, you know, he's a thoroughbred. Look at, you know, look this at the guy. This is a guy he, who could uh, line up and play defensive end for, for the Eagles. I mean, <laughs> this is, and I think this is where you relate to today. We always hear the old adage, they don't make guys like that anymore. These two people right here, I don't think they make guys like anymore. They're just different I, breeds. And that's, and I, and real quick, you can't. You can't, I don't fault them for doing what they did, right? They lived in that area. It was part of the game and they played it and, you know, they did their time. And, you know, I'll get to the other, you know, the son, John, as to what happened to him. But it's funny because I remember, and I, I've been to Stogie Joe's several times. I, there, It was common knowledge that there was an FBI van parked up the street. I mean, they watched Chicky. Wasted, wasted time, wasted money, yeah. wasted resources. He's in his 80s he, and yeah. he died in March 2020. 23 quite recently about a month ago he could have I been mean, i've said this before he could have been boss if, if he would have stayed on the street sure he would have been the guy of, taking over not stanford 
like high level, even like a, and I'm sure he's, you know, Hey, this is what I would do is what I would, you know, I heard, I heard there were guys that came from uh, all around the country that, that came to his funeral that you had guys from all five families um, that came in. He had a big contingent of Genovese, a big contingent of Lucchese's. Yeah. This is a guy that a lot of people, you know, respected and, and, you know, look, 88, I mean, he's still being watched, you know, and I think this is, this also goes to the higher level thinking of like, why in 2023 are we putting resources into watching an 88 year old guy with an Italian? Only in, it, Jeff, it's only in Philly, man. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm telling you, other cities they've they've chopped their OC, uh, you know, federal law enforcement budgets, but Philadelphia is just it's a whole other animal all to itself. But and this goes back to the thought of like, yet it's personal, can, it's personal frankly i mean it's between the the feds and and the merlino crew it's personal but you have you have places within miles that are making hundreds of thousands of dollars a day selling right. fentanyl like but it's, it's not it's, as sexy yeah. for those fbi agents to come in with some no. gangbanger no. it's sexy to say oh i busted joey merlino or i busted yeah. stevie mazone and that's going to you know that, that that's the thought is how can i advance my career i'm not going to advance my career busting some some quarter right. boy in Kensington. I'm going right. to bust my career by get Boston Joey Molino. Um, so we see in the background of this photo, John, who, you know, is still around today. Um, Johnny Chang is an interesting enigmatic guy because uh, he would come home kind of after the dust settles. Right. And he, interestingly enough, slots in with the, 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 the Mikey Chang, Joey Molino right. faction, his brother's gone. His other brother is incapacitated and, to this day, I don't believe they speak to each other. Um, I heard they were both at the funeral, um, but they were on opposite sides of the which makes sense of the of the building. We we can understand that, but I think one interesting kind of involved and, and listen. I want to again make this clear: this is a very touchy subject. There is no charges that have been brought in the case of Billy Vizi, but I want to talk about a sixty minutes interview. That John VC did because the Changs, including Johnny's wife, Kathy, were involved in that documentary. And John VC believes that, as we know, he testifies in, you know, what, 95, his brother shot the morning he testifies in the area of Bouvier and Oregon uh, Avenues. Um, his little Jimmy truck goes right into the house and he's killed a, a, at the scene. There is thought, and John Vesey believes it, that Johnny Chang was involved in some way. You yeah. know, brother for a brother. Type brother for a brother. Right. Because, you know, you, hey, you, know, you shot and killed my brother, Michael. I'm going to get rid of your brother. And look, I don't there, think Billy there, Vesey. Tra- he was acquitted of this. I'm not saying. Yeah. Well, you, you can sit there. We can sit there and debate no, about. We're just talking about what happened. Right. No. Well, it wasn't just Vesey. It was Ralph Natale also said that. And Ralph Natale claims that Johnny Chang came to him within an hour or two of doing the alleged hit. And Ralph kissed him on the cheek and it was some type of, uh, you know, celebration. But he went on trial for it. Ralph was proved to be uh, not credible. And, you know, nothing, nothing, you know and, and remember, it's, it's simply, uh, you know, a, a conversation now. It's as nothing much- I can ever... As much as you don't want to do it. Look, do we think OJ's probably guilty? Yes. But in the eyes of the law, he was found not guilty. Beat the rap. Uh, in John Chang's case, he beat the rap. Does it make sense? Sure it does. It's been the history of this family. That's just how they are. Johnny beat the rap, though. And we've also heard in recent years, John VC leaves voicemails on yeah. on. Kathy's voice message. Right. I'm going to get and he showed done. up. He showed up a couple of years ago at the newspaper stand that, that Johnny runs. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you're going to have a repeat of what was going on in the nineties, but it's definitely something to keep an eye on. John VC tells people that, you know, he won't go to his grave without getting retribution for uh, his brother's murder. I, talked to a number of people that says that that it's a lot the harassment of the Changalinis from vc is a lot worse than it's been reported um it seems to the last couple of years i haven't heard as much but 
you know, in the 2010s, uh, went right around that that 60 minute article. It seemed to be. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess, Scott, that the federal government called John Vesey and said, "If you call them again, you're gonna yeah be violated, right?" Because you know John Vesey can't behave that way. You know he. Look, do I think he'll ever actually succeed? Uh, no, of course not. I, I, but then again, I don't put much past him. Look, anybody that knows this area, and I know you've heard this, when John Vesey was on the street, he was very scared. He very was a lunatic. A lot of people. The guy was a lunatic. Well, I think he could ultimately I – mean, look, he would – And he's not a guy that would have ever been made in any other crime family. No. no he, he got he made because Stanford was desperate. And – from the story that's been told, I don't have any proof of this. I just know what I've read. He was working a construction site with Spanish Frank Martinez, mm-hmm. and who was one of Stanford's guys. I think yeah. eventually became Stanford's underboss. And and Martinez brings him VC. Oh, this is this is a guy that can help us out. Well, yeah, and that's something that he talked about in the book he wrote with Dave Trowiser. He talked about how he was just he needed a job out of state prison, and yeah. he got a job working with with them and. Stanford just came up and said, Hey, you want to, want to, you want to kill somebody for me? And he goes, he talked about that in the interview. He goes, yeah. he goes, how do you just decide you're going to kill somebody? He goes, well, when you're broke and you don't know anything else, you, you take the money. But he, then he talks about, he never got the money right. for the, the 10,000 that he was owed. He never got the money, but and he didn't, and he didn't understand protocol. And he would go up to people and be like, are you a main guy? I'm a main guy. <laughs> are you yeah. a main guy? <laughs> and he was, he was, it was, it was almost hilarious on how he behaved. Um, but we take it to present day. Obviously, Michael is dead. Uh, Joey Chang. I- I've never seen a photo of them together. I- it doesn't look like they have any relationship. As you said, he was at the funeral, which we can expect. Um, Johnny was ultimately hemmed up in the early 2000s in that uh, case involving Joey and those guys. And he would do some prison time. I remember he was arrested. Uh, you know, I remember he had the glasses and the, the haircut. Um, I remember the seeing that on the news. Um you know, he's out now. Uh, I've he actually turned up in a parole violation for Joey Molina. Joey because went down and met with him down in Miami. Joey's yeah. been in uh, has been in South Florida for the last 12 years. But uh, Johnny's. I don't think he's ever going to retire, but I think Johnny is someone that's incredibly smart and he knows who to talk to, who not to talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's someone that right now is feeling very lucky. Uh, he had some serious health problems that he's been able to overcome and that, that kind of put him on the sideline for a little bit. I know that he was incredibly um, thankful and, uh, and cherished the, the 10 years he got to spend with his dad at the end. And he was with his dad, I think, you know, almost every day uh, as well as uh, Mikey Chang's uh, son was someone that I know that was driving around Chicky. Um, so, you know, Chicky got to reconnect with his, at least with Johnny. And I'm not sure what the relationship between Chicky and, and Joey Chang was. Um, I know that. Well, I guess my question would be, and I, I was always curious about this. What would Chicky have to be mad at Joey for? I I, I mean, no, I, you're right. That's I why I don't want to speak it. I have no idea what their relationship with, uh, was. If you would go see Joey without Johnny and then go see Johnny. I, I, I don't know. And this is the sadness of that life, right? Because you look at Johnny, right? He's, you know, he's in his 60s, I think, at this point. Doesn't really have much left. Has his wife. Um, I, I don't believe they have any children. Um, he actually turned up, Johnny, in a, he had a newsstand uh, called Nita's. It was in the parking lot of Chickie and Pete's on Packer Avenue, a big uh, sports bar in South Philly, right by the stadiums. And Dave Schratweiser was pestering him for a while and asking the lottery commission as to why he has a newsstand. And there is a, it's one of the funnier back and forth. Have you seen the back and forth between him and Schratweiser? Yeah. Very funny. And I guess, you know, his wife. They have a lo- the, the Philly guys have a love hate relationship with Dave. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, they definitely do. And, you know, Johnny kind of just says to him, you know, get out of here. Like, you know, why do you keep bothering me? And I, essentially, but I will say this about them: um, Dave keeps them in the news, though. I mean, and they love they love the headlines. So yeah, it's like you know, for them, it's like the gift and the curse because there aren't many other cities today that still cover the OC in their city like like Philadelphia does. And and these guys are, I tell anybody that's not from Philadelphia, I'm like, 
if you're not there, you don't understand it. I was like, they they cover Joey Merlino and his crew like they're the Philadelphia 76ers or the Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. Um, you know, that's the level of celebrity and notoriety that those guys get. It's just it's not like that anymore in, in most other cities. Well, I remember even, I saw even New York. I used to see Johnny Chang many a weekend at Memories in Margate. His wife, uh, very nice woman. Uh, she, she, worked a, she worked a bar in the yeah. back, uh, in the back left corner. Um, nice people. I, you know, I, I, I the, 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 his wife used to get me a drink. He's a nice lady. Um, attractive yeah, lady. Very attractive. Oh yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> very, very pretty woman. Um, most of the, the, the wives of, of these guys are, uh, they, they do a good job in choosing their women. I give yeah. them that. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that. I mean, they're a fascinating group of people. Um, and this is, I think one of the stories that I found when I was younger, I, I, I think what made me kind of be fascinated by these people, just these kind of stories, these, as you said, Shakespearean type of stories, like you have brothers pitted against brothers. You have a father who is unable to do anything. I'll ask you though, and it's kind of a question as we end, let's say, let's say Joey Chang senior. So Chicky's on the street. Do you think this all happens still? No, of course not. Right. Not at all. No. I'm not saying that Joey and Mikey would have been best friends. Um, they probably would have always had that that brother. What do you rivalry. think? Do you do you think it's possible that Chicky kind of said Chicky's probably the boss after Testa or uh, yeah, Nikki, right? Without I'm saying without. Oh, you mean if Nikki's not in the picture? Yeah. So let's say Nikki goes away, and let's say Chicky never gets 45 years. Yeah, Chicky he, would have been the boss. Right. He would have been a great boss, and there never would have been a Starfo. Yeah. yeah, there never would have been a Stanford probably, and this you you may have all three brothers, and they all yeah. could be close today. You don't really know, but this is the the seat and the the life that this is, and it's always fun to play like what if, like what if Stavi Testa never gets killed? Like, there's so many storylines about Philly that make it so interesting, and the way it happened is super interesting. So, um, it's a story that I, I you know, there's a lot of dynasty families in the mafia, right? You have the Persicos and the the Gottis and the Franzises and the Pernas and these littler groups and then you have the Changs. This is the most interesting, though. You know, the, like the Pernas are incredibly close. All of them. It, right? Well, I'll tell you the the story of the brothers and the brothers Changalini um, going to war with each other. I can really trace my entire interest in Philadelphia can be rooted back to the first three or four pages of The Last Gangster. I read The Last Gangster before I read Blood and Honor. Um, So I know you're supposed to read Blood and Honor before you read The Last Gangster, but as a kid in my 20s that didn't know anything, uh, I remember being like a a Borders and I picked up The Last Gangster. And and that was my my introduction to the Philadelphia crime family. And I remember reading those first couple pages and just like all great books do, they kind of open with a, you know, open with kind of a scene from maybe midway into your story and you, you get, you know, you have that lens in and then, and then it draws it back and, and then you go backwards to go forwards. And with George Anastasia's last gangster, he opens up with a meeting at a diner between Tommy Horsehead Scafidi, Joey Merlino and Mikey Chang. And Mikey Chang is telling uh, Tommy Horsehead, we're going to kill my brother. And if you don't get on board I'm going to kill you too. Yeah. And I remember being like, wow, this is it like smacked me across the face. I was like, I remember watching Goodfellas and, and casino and there was nothing like that. And that just drew me in and I've been obsessed with it ever since. It's interesting too, because like when you talk about what ifs, like let's say Joe Chicky Chang is, is the boss, right? His son's going to be a high level position too. What does the future of Joey Merlino look like? The trajectory of his life would have been well, same a with, lot same with if Mikey doesn't die. I've always yeah. told people I don't think Joey becomes boss. No. I think Mikey becomes boss and Joey's his underboss. It seems like Michael Chang was the, the driving the, force. The driving force. He was yeah. the leader of that group, right? Yeah. And and you know Joey just kind of assumed the mantle after, but it would have changed the trajectory of his career as yeah. well. They so. were both charismatic, but in different ways. Joey wasn't. Joey's more of a laid back dude. Um, I mean, he can get he can get charged up, uh, yeah. but but Joey isn't someone that um, I I don't think is or was 
for Mikey Chang was a very like I, he would, I just people tell me he was a hurricane. But like, then on the other hand, and uh, negative. The, on the other hand, you have to say maybe Joey was that powerful in his beliefs that they said, you know what, we're going to go against our own brother. Yeah, because we buy into you more. It's like, you know, how, what? And that's one thing I would love to know is what happened between these guys back in their childhood where they had such animosity, such, such animosity. Yeah, you know. And then you have the other brother who just kind of says, you know what, I'm still not going to pick you because you try to kill my other brother. Or you mm-hmm. you succeeded in it. I'm going to go with my friend, right? Yeah. Like, because because to me, look, blood is thicker than like a friendship. I'll do respect. If my brother needs me over my friend, I'm going to pick my brother. But it's um, it's interesting to think about, and it's it's funny. We're we're Scott's uh, audio or videos went out right as we finish here. We still got you, Scott. I think we we've lost him. But um, what I will say as we wrap up, and I'll wait see if he comes back. Do me a favor. Hit that like button. Make sure you subscribe and go check out Scott's stuff in the description of the video. Scott is a terrific and esteemed author. Wrote the terrific Mafia Prince. He's at the Gangster Report, one of the best news sites for organized crime in America. He's got the original Gangsters podcast with James Jimmy Bucciolato. They do some great work, um, and we kind of coexist and work together on some things. So I really have. It's really nice to have Scott as an emissary in all this and. We always have some great conversations, him and I, especially on Philly. And what I'm going to do in the next month or two is we're going to get him on to do a Detroit episode. We're going to do some Detroit uh, Detroit stuff. Scott's kind of the uh, foremost authority on the Detroit partnership. Uh, so you can look forward to that. I've got a lot of cool things coming here on the channel and on the podcast. So make sure you continue to stay tuned. I really appreciate all the participation each week. I thank you guys for checking out the sponsors and make sure you go check out harry's harrys.com slash sit get yourself some grooming uh, tools including razors and body wash and shaving cream um, but i just thank you guys every week for checking us out and by the way if you want more great sit down content check us out on tiktok at sit down crime pod i'm up over sixty-five thousand subs so uh, do me a favor check all that out I will talk to you all again soon. I am out of here. I thank you again to Scott Bernstein for coming on. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week for episode 105 of The Sit Down. I hope you have a great day. We'll see you next week here on the show.